0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be with everybody in the house this morning. We do have a small contingency here. Uh, Thank you to our worship team, Sister Angela, and our worship team uh, for awesome worship this morning. If it came in a little bit choppy for you this morning, we're splitting feed between Facebook and and YouTube, and so we're still learning some technology. This is, our, this is officially the inauguration of our first service in live streaming. So, appreciate you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we have lots of friends, we have family, we have our church members, we have uh, apparently the entire day surgery department at Waukesha Memorial Hospital, so welcome, and uh, we're glad you're with us this morning. It's a great day to be in the house of God this morning, or to be in His presence and to be called a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited to share a word with you that God's given me this morning. A word of confidence, a word of faith, a word of direction. First and foremost, I want to thank our church body uh, for your faithfulness. Our online giving has been up and running. Many of you have already jumped on and taken care of that. And uh, continue to be faithful. The word of God does not change regardless of catastrophe, regardless of what's happening in the world. The principles of the word are always true and will continue to be so. And so we worship also in our giving and I'm so very thankful for those that have uh, continued to be faithful. We want to keep the lights on and keep our live stream working, and that will help tremendously. Uh, Also, just want to encourage, uh, we have a great structure of leadership here at Abundant Life. Leaders out there, if you're a department pastor, you've got directors to communicate with and talk with and and share with once in a while. Stay in touch with them. Directors, you've got teams uh, that that work with you. Stay in touch with them. Uh, You know, Reach out to one another, encourage one another, uh, stay in the faith, stay in the word, and we'll continue to encourage each other as uh, we look to wind this thing down however God sees fit to do so. So I'm going to go ahead and join and jump into the word this morning, and I do apologize, I'm just a little bit nervous, this is, uh, being on camera is a little bit different for me, and not something that I was ever expecting to do, and, uh, but that's okay, uh, it's not about me. It's about God, and it's about Jesus Christ and his word. So this morning, I'm going to dive right into the word of God. If you've got your Bibles there with you, Um, I'll try not to go too fast. Thank you, Sister Brittany, who's interpreting this morning. I understand we have a large uh, deaf community uh, who is uh, connected with our deaf ministries director, Sister Deb Nell, and uh, we'll do our best to try to keep it even and go and encourage you in the word today as well. Uh, Today, we are experiencing somewhat of a historical movement this morning. Today, we are experiencing the single greatest live streaming church service event in the history of our world. And I'm very proud to be a part of that this morning. Churches all over the world, all over the United States of all faiths are reaching out today via this wonderful thing that we call the Internet. And they're connecting probably to more people on this planet than we ever have done in one single day. And that is a miracle of modern technology and the blessings that God has bestowed on us. So now is the time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will say to you today, and I want to preach to you today freedom from captivity freedom from captivity. We are certainly in captivity today. I think the folks that are here in the church with me this morning would agree, all things being equal and what has been said and done uh, throughout the cities. I think about New York City and, and, and the state of New York and California and other places that are on complete lockdown. Many feel that they are captive, they're in captivity. And so God has led me to a message today to talk to you about freedom from captivity. Many are asking today, where is God in all of this? Isn't that interesting? Then now they're beginning, some are beginning to call on God, perhaps people that never called on God before, people that had just been enjoying the bounty of life. We're rich, we're wealthy, we have more than we possibly could need. Technology is amazing. We've got 2.5 cars and, and, and enormous homes and, and all the food we could possibly eat here in the United States. And, and we live lavishly, and, and sometimes I think we're a little self sufficient. And it's those times that society can release from God, that we, we become gods ourselves in a way. And so at times like this, when a little teeny tiny microscopic unseen giant beast comes, it's amazing how it can bring us to our knees and humble us. And I've reflected on that and I, many of you have done that as well. And so I marvel at when the question is asked, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Some have said, why would he allow something like this to happen? Why is, why is he allowing people to pass away? Why is it, why is it turned to God? But we know that throughout history, nature has been, been on its own course. God set nature at course, and, and, and the things sometimes that we do, we affect nature, and, and we can create these things, and, and uh, it is not his place to stop that and, and, and uh, to take his creation and completely flip it around for our benefit and, and for our needs and for our fears. Nature is what it is that he created it to be, and it's doing what it's supposed to do. People will pass away. That is the nature of life. There have been great plagues, great uh, flu viruses and things that have passed through history for many years, for decades, for centuries. This is the continuing cycle of life today. Where I say God is, God is here and he's looking for us. He's looking for us to turn to him again. I want to talk a little bit about the world today and, and, and what we see and what we observe. And I think people out there could, could understand that. I think you could acknowledge that, as I said, we live in a very material world. I think it's sometimes we are a bit selfish. Our culture has turned to, to such visceral behavior in social media. I, I see people getting so angry. Uh, the, the political environment is something that we've never seen before. One another tearing at each other's throats over candidates in, in political operations. We neglect each other. Marriages are broken families are broken we spend more time in front of screens than we do talking to one another the life is so busy we have so many conveniences we have so many technological developments and yet we're so busy and we're so surrounded by people constantly surrounded by all these feeds and yet we are utterly alone in this world people are hurting everywhere prior to this catastrophe people were hurting lonely, distraught All of these conveniences, all of these modern things that we have in in entertainment and video and, and all of this other stuff, and yet we're utterly alone. And I tell you today that when God is not at the center of our lives, when he is the periphery, it's times like this that we're brought to our knees and we turn to him and say, God, where are you in all of this? And God is telling you this morning, I've been here the whole time. I've been here the whole time. You know, I look back at ancient Israel, the Old Testament of the Bible, Israel constantly moving in from, from favor to God to, to apostasy, continuously failing him and then being drawn into captivity. The entire New Te- Old Testament, excuse me, is, is literally a story of, of a, an entire nation, literally the apple of God's eye, God's people constantly being drawn into captivity by one nation or the other and finding themselves in that position, finding themselves captive, not knowing what to do and eventually calling on God, God, where are you in all of this? And of course, he hears their pleas and when they turn around, he releases them from captivity. We've become material, wealthy as I've said. In some ways, I think we've fallen into the same apostasy that Israel did so many times in the Old Testament. Apostasy simply means the abandonment of faith, the abandonment of your religion, essentially putting God on the back burner, setting him aside. We become self-sufficient, masters of our own universe. We have great jobs. We have all of this wealth and bounty. Stock market soaring, our 401ks padding nicely, our future looking bright, and suddenly, we're taken captive by the enemy. As I said, Israel was at the center of God's universe, the apple of his eye. You know, Gentiles at that point didn't even count. In the Old Testament, Gentiles weren't even really, barely humanity. God was so focused on Israel. That was his creation. That was his people. They were the apple of his eye. And yet, and he provided them everything. He provided them the word. He provided them the law. He was with them. He spoke directly to his leaders like Moses. But eventually, they would turn their attention from him. They would harden their hearts. They lifted up other gods before him. They began to worship material, worship other things. How different is that from today? We worship our bank accounts, we worship our belongings and our possessions. Sometimes we worship one another, we worship our freedom. This is not to say that we shouldn't enjoy the bounty that God's given us for for heaven's sake. He's blessed this nation beyond comparison in the history of the world. And he blesses his people and he blesses those that do serve him. And we should enjoy those blessings. There's There's no doubt about that. But when they rise to a place that is higher than God in the proper hierarchy, that is when things begin to go wrong. That is when we displease him. The Israelites often attacked the prophets, the people, the the priests and the pastors and the ministers that were sent to them to preach the word and to deliver his message. They would attack them and oftentimes kill them because they were telling them things they didn't want to hear. They were talking about things like sin. They were talking about things like failing God, failing to follow his law. And so they would be drawn into captivity Sometimes captivity wasn't totally bad, but many, many Israelites were killed or suffered torture, imprisonment, but sometimes the finest citizens of the nation would be taken into custody and became members of the court. As a matter of fact, in the Babylonian captivity with King Nebuchadnezzar, it is said in the word of God that when they were released or had the opportunity to be released, they didn't want to go. They enjoyed the heathen king. They enjoyed the things that they had. They didn't want to go back to that restriction. And God was greatly displeased. But sometimes during the time of repentance, God would hear their pleas, and Israel would be released to go back. And what would they do every time? They would rebuild. Because the temple would be destroyed. Cities would be destroyed. Israel would be destroyed. And they were released to go back home to what they knew was right, serving God. But every single time when they went back, they were rebuilding. I'm telling you today... When this thing is done, there's going to be a time to rebuild. And I'm not talking about buildings. I'm not talking about your bank account. I'm talking about your relationship with God. I'm talking about the things that matter in life, the hierarchy of what we should put at the center of our life and the things that surround it. God should not be at the periphery of what we do. He should be at the center of what we do. You can still have a great job. You can still have vacations, possessions. You can have all of those blessings as long as you keep God at the center of what you're doing. Let's bring God back into the center of what we do. That's what I'm calling for today. That's what God is saying to us today. Look what God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel, who was a prophet of Israel during the time of the Babylonian captivity. Late in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 36, God gives Israel this promise. Starting at verse 24, he says, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries. Israel was scattered all over the place at this time. And I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put into you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. Just make note of that commentary. I will clean you with water and I will put a new spirit within you. That was the prophet Ezekiel several hundred years before the birth of Christ. So what changed it all? What changed it for Israel? The multiple times that we were taken into captivity, uh, the continuous failing and redemption and failing and redemption, back, apostasy, back to serving God. At the end of the book of Malachi, the last book in the, New, the Old Testament, Israel had fallen into apostasy once again. They had failed God once again. And the prophet Malachi predicts cap- captivity once again. And this time, God's gone. There's a period of 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Rome has now ruled the world. Rome sacked Israel, sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the second temple. It was nothing but rubble on the ground. And the Romans ruled all of the Jews. But it's this time, the birth of Christ. The four gospels we know are the biography of the birth of Christ. The gospel was coming. Jesus came to redeem all, of my, redeem all of mankind. Redemption for the Jews and laying the groundwork for the ministry to the Gentiles were his goal. You see, it wasn't going to be just about them anymore. It was all his creation. That was the plan all along. But he turned from Israel for a while. I'm telling you this morning that he came to set the captives free. Not physical captivity necessarily, but spiritual captivity. A message redemption for every single human being. Look at how Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. He says in verse 17, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. He's referencing to what we now know as Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now he's not talking about necessarily people with no money, he's talking about people that are destitute of spiritual wealth. I've come to preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus came to deliver us from the captivity of fear, anxiety, spiritual blindness, and the hurts of this life. Here's his message. And this is calling, this is going out, excuse me, today to all who will hear. Today. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Jesus reveals his message to a Jewish ruler named Nicodemus. John 3 and 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know not that thou art a teacher, excuse me, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Look at Jesus' response. In verse 3, he says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was just commenting on the fact that he had to become from God, that he did these miracles. He didn't ask him, "How do you get saved? How, what's, what's the process here for being born again?" Jesus just said, "Verily, verily." When Jesus says, "Verily, verily," it's a strong stressing. Listen to what I'm saying. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, he cannot be freed from captivity. Verse 4, he says, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered again, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Precisely what the prophet Ezekiel was reflecting. God's words that I will clean you with water and I will put a new spirit in you. Without those things, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jump down to verse 14 with me where it says, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What that's referencing is a time when Israel was under siege by hordes of snakes and they were being attacked and bitten. And God instructed Moses to fashion a snake out of brass. And when when Moses made this snake, he lifted it up in the wilderness, meaning when they were on their journey from, from Egypt into the promised land, he lifted this brass snake up. And when he did that, the snakes were abated. Jesus is saying, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, because here's what happened. It was great for when it was saving Israel from the snakes. We have someone like that right now. If you're being bitten, if you're being chased, if the snakes are affecting you in your life, there's a Jesus that you can lift up in your life that can send those things away. But here's what happened to the people of Israel. They began to worship that snake. They began to hold it higher than God because it was saving them, it was protecting their flesh. It, was, it became a, 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 a personal convenience thing. And so when Jesus references that part of the, the, the scripture and Moses lifting up the snake, he was talking about the fact that the people began to worship the snake. He's saying, so must the man, son of man be lifted up and worshiped. Now look what he says in verse 15, he says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have life eternal. Now many of you have ever watched a football game or if you've been around long enough you've heard this next scripture, John chapter 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to understand today that when it said that God so loved the world, it did not mean that he loved the things that were happening in the world. It didn't mean that he loved the sin that he saw. It doesn't mean that he's accepting of all of the things, the debauchery that we see in the world today, the way that people are hurting one another, the things that we've created to destroy one another. He's not loving that today. He loves his creation. He loves you and me. But that belief in him... That, that love that he has for you by believing is not an automatic ticket. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to put him at the center as I said before. He wants to free you from captivity this morning but there it takes something. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already. But he that not hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil we live in a world today folks where so many love the darkness they flee the light they turn from the light their deeds are evil and they don't want to come to terms with it they want to live as they do God is not pleased. Verse twenty says that for every one that doeth evil hateth light, neither cometh to the light lest his deed should be reproved. Does want to come to the light because it's going to show that we're failing, that we sin, that we fail God. Pride and selfishness hold us back sometimes from being allowed to admit those things. Verse 21 says, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. He began again the work that Ezekiel spoke, the words that he gave in John chapter three, except you be born of the water and the spirit. He began to baptize, baptize, excuse me, do you know that at this same time as when John the Baptist, his, his cousin, was already baptizing, baptizing for repentance at the same time? Did you know that they were doing it at the same time? And eventually Jesus went to him as a God manifest in the flesh. He went to John the Baptist and he himself was baptized to fulfill the requirement. He was a model for that step. I say to you today that unquestionably he was telling Nicodemus, we have to believe, but... We must be born of the water and the spirit, and we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven if we don't. What do we do when we believe? We hear a lot about believing. Believe in the Lord. Is it simply just an acknowledgement in your mind? Is it simply just a state of thought? I believe that God is. The book of James says that the devils believe and they tremble. Are they saved? Do they have a ticket to the kingdom? Look what Jesus says to his disciples in Mark chapter 16, 15 through 18. These are the words of Jesus Christ. In verse 15 he says, and he said unto them, talking to the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. Shall they speak with new tongues. They shall take up servants, and if they drink serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Now I love this last part. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. These are the words of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Look at this account in Matthew chapter 16. Starting at verse 13. Jesus is preparing to return to Jerusalem he knows his journey is to end in crucifixion he already is prepared in Matthew 16 and 13 he's coming out of Caesarea Philippi he had been preaching he's with his disciples he says when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying whom do men say that I the son of man am when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man he's talking about this flesh body that I've created who do they say that I am and they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, or what we know is Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or the prophet Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and he saith unto them, but whom do you say that I am? He's testing them. Do you get it yet? Do you know who I am? Do you really understand the message that I've brought? In verse 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjonah, that means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter had a revelation. He got it. I don't know if the other disciples did at the same time. The scripture and the gospel tells us that some got it a little bit later, doubting Thomas, his half-brother Judas. It took him a little while, but Peter got it. Peter understood who he was standing in front of. And Jesus says to him in verse 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter means little rock. Jesus was referring to himself as the rock. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then he looks at Peter and makes the most profound statement, I believe, in all of the Gospels. When he looks at Peter and he says, and I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, thou shalt be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. Folks, there's the foreman for the job. Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church. It's gonna be built on this rock, and now I've selected the foreman for the job. I've now pointed out the leader. You better listen to what Peter has to say too. Follow my gospel. Follow what the disciples have said. They know my teaching, but I'm gonna tell you what. There's one guy in my group that I've anointed to be the leader, the key speaker, and he's got the keys to the kingdom. He's got the keys, and he knows what's to be done, and whatever he binds on earth. Shall be bound in heaven, and whatever he looses on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That means he has the authority that I have given him to make the rules. Listen to Peter. Look at the words, his words to his disciples after he had risen from the grave and before he ascended, after the ascension on Easter, what we, we call Easter Sunday. Jesus didn't go immediately to heaven. Most of you probably know that. As a matter of fact, he was here for 40 or 50 days. He appeared multiple times to many groups and to the, to the, the apostles and, and to the disciples that followed him. Look what he says in Luke chapter 24 and 47. He's giving him his final commands before he ascends when he says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations Beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Jesus just told the disciples, here's what I want you to do. You're gonna go into the world, you're gonna preach repentance, you're gonna preach remission of sins, and you're gonna preach it to every creature, every nation. But right now, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to go to the temple that's there. The temple was still standing. The temple that Solomon built... And he says, "Tarry in the city of Jerusalem, that means wait until you're endued with power from on high. I want you to know that word power in that scripture has a very powerful connotation. The word power, dunamis, it's referring to the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the same word throughout that references the Holy Ghost, is referenced when you see that word power. Jesus tells them to go back to Jerusalem, to the temple, and pray and wait for the Holy Ghost. And we know that when he talked to them, he told them in Scripture that if you go and wait, I'm going to send a comforter. He was talking about himself. He was talking about returning in the form of the Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, we leave the Gospels. Jesus is crucified. He's ascended into heaven. And we roll into Acts chapter 2, the book immediately following the four Gospels. Folks, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people about the book of Acts. It's literally titled The Acts of the Apostles and how many people have said unto me, I've never even heard of this book. There are people that said, my pastor never preaches from this. My preacher's never even talked to me about the book of Acts. What is it? What's going on? The book of Acts are the acts of the apostles. The, it is the place where they began to take the mission that Jesus gave them in the gospels and put it in, into action. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says this and when the day of Pentecost was fully come Pentecost was a feast it was a celebration it was a special celebration in Israel at the time Penta meaning 50 it was 50 days past Passover well we know what happened the weekend of Passover don't we? So on the day of Pentecost, it is a day that more Jews would be in Jerusalem surrounding the temple than any other day of the year. They came there to celebrate Pentecost, to worship, and be at the temple. Jesus chose this day to return in the form of the Holy Ghost because more people would be exposed to this awesome event, literally the greatest event after his birth and his ascension, In the entire history of the world, happened right now on the day of Pentecost. It says, when it was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. They were in the upper room of the temple in Jerusalem. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Remember the words of Jesus in Mark 16. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. Do you believe today? Have you repented of your sins today? Have you been filled with his spirit today? Have you been baptized in Jesus' name today? This is the formula that Jesus gave out throughout the Gospels and continues into the book of Acts. Acts. Verse 5 says, And they were there dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. They were confounded because that every man had heard them speak in their own languages. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one another, Behold, are not all these that speak Galileans? Don't forget that Jesus' followers were Galileans. They were fishermen at the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> they dressed a certain way, they spoke a certain way, they had funny accents compared to the other places around them. They were confounded. How can they know our language? At this time in history, there were two languages that were predominant. The one that you spoke from the region that you came from, and Greek. The one that the Romans said everybody has to learn. That was law. But these men were speaking languages that other people could hear. And here's how we know. Verse 8 says, "...and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born." Nine says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt and the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes, Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Now, remember our boss man, Peter? Remember the foreman, the guy with the keys to the kingdom? The one anointed by Jesus himself to lead this work? Verse 14 says that Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted his voice and said unto unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. On the Jewish clock, that's nine o'clock in the morning. They hadn't been out drinking. That kind of thing didn't go on at this time in history. Nowadays, it wouldn't be so odd, perhaps. Verse 16 says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is that. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is what the apostolic movement experiences every single day. This is what Pentecost means. This is what Jesus brought. Not man-made religions, not made contrivances of our own thoughts. We decide how we're saved. I like this part of the Bible, but not that part. There was a prophecy that was given. Jesus fulfilled it. The prophets delivered it. This is that. There is one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. In verses 19 through 35, I won't take you through them. You can read them now, today, later. Google it, Acts chapter 2, 19 through 35. This is where preacher preacher Peter begins to tell the message. This is where he goes over the entire message of Christ again. Why did he come? What was his purpose? He reiterates everything that they'd already witnessed. And as a matter of fact, it's just coming up where he then, after he preaches that message, he tells them all that Jesus had brought, reminds them again of what they just experienced. It's where Peter, the man with the keys, preaches the salvation message to those he just convicted for killing Jesus. See, in that message in 19 through 35, he tells them, he tells them, you crucified the Christ. He lays it down boldly. See, Peter, before he was full of the Holy Ghost, was was kind of a, A coward, you remember when Christ was crucified and he told him before he was going to be crucified, he said, you'll deny me three times. Oh no, it's not so, Jesus. I would never do that. But standing in the courtyard the evening of the crucifixion, somebody identified, hey, you're one of those guys that hangs out with Jesus. And three times before the cock crowed, Peter did deny him. But after the Holy Ghost, he became bold. And he preached that message to those men and women. In 19 through 35, look how his message fits all the others. If you go down to Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, it says he's continuing to preach the end of the message. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were captive. They were captive by what they didn't understand. They were captive by a mob rule. They were captive by rulers and Pharisees and Sadducees that were afraid of what Jesus was bringing. They were held captive and were not allowed to hear this message. They were told he was a heretic. They were told he was a blasphemer. They were taken captive by their own leadership. But I'm telling you today, this message that Peter taught was designed to free the captive. When he looked at them and he said, I know you're guilty in your hearts. I know you're pricked in your hearts. In verse 38, this is what he said. They're afraid for their souls. They're afraid for what they just heard. In verse 38, he says, and then Peter said unto them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost there it is again from Ezekiel to John to Peter's message it's again and again to free the captives it is this message remember Ezekiel's prophecy clean you with water fill you with the new spirit look at verse 39 in that same chapter this promise is unto you you know how many times I've heard, well, that was for then, Russ. That was for then. That was kind of what happened back then when all that stuff. People were different then. We're way smarter now. We know more than back then. We just, we've got this all contained. We're just going to kind of go about it. Everybody interprets their own way. Everybody has a different, way, you know, their particular way to get there. And I'm telling you today, verse 39 should answer that for you. And it says this. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. My goodness, do we live in an untoward generation today. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And what happened after that in verse 41? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3000 souls i'm closing folks not everybody in jerusalem accepted it it said they that gladly received his word 3000 souls and many more were saved throughout the book of acts all of the by all of the churches of the epistles that you read in the Bible, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Romans, those churches were saved and established under this message in the book of Acts 2 10, 19, and on into the book of Acts. And I can tell you this, folks, that in no place were they saved where they were not baptized in Jesus' name. Many accounts. Some were baptized in Jesus' name and then were filled with the Holy Ghost, as Peter preached. Some were filled with the Holy Ghost and later were commanded to be baptized. And every time it was the name of the Lord, it was the name of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you today in our close, now is our opportunity to put God at the center of our lives. Now is our time to free the captives. To examine our values, our priorities, how we treat one another, how we live This is how we escape captivity. This is how we escape fear. This is how we escape these things that are happening in our world, rising above it, focusing on the things that are greater and more important. The Bible says that this life is but a vapor, and eternity is a long, long time. Now is the time to be obedient to God's word. It's time we as a nation repent. When we repent and are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, we follow his words in John 3. We are born of the water and the Spirit. We become his and take on his resurrection. See, someday, whether I die of coronavirus tomorrow or I die of old age in my bed, many years from now, I'm looking for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what I care about. I don't fear death because I look for this resurrection, this promise that I know that God has given us. Because the Bible says that who the Son sets free is free indeed. Romans chapter 6, 3 through 5, you can stand in a group this morning as we begin to close. Romans 6, 3 through 5 says this. It says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This church, this pastor, this body is open for business. We may not be able to gather here for a full church service, but if there's anybody Out there or here That wants to talk about the word You're seeking You're glad to receiving the word today I'll talk to you more about it Get a hold of us Contact the church at 262-965-5177 I'll be here most every day I'll check those messages I'll call back You can email You can contact us in any way that you know how Facebook message it Whatever it is that you need to know. If you're gladly receiving the word of God today, I want to tell you more because there's a resurrection waiting for you. There is a fear that you're freed from. I am not afraid of this world and what's going on in it right now because I have the promise of the Father. Amen. He who, set his, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning.